Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. That's not it. Oh! <laughs> Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert and Frank's amazing, colossal obsessions. Uh-huh. I'm here with my co-host, Robin Quivers. Oh! And, and, uh-huh. and once again, being recorded by Fred Norris. Uh-oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Frank Santo Padre. Yeah. Is <laughs> and we're at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Yeah. Those other people, I barely remember what they look like. <laughs> <laughs> and who might our guest be this week? Okay. <laughs> our our guest is, is Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Perhaps you've heard of him. Have sessions. Jack, welcome back. Well, thank you very much. And why don't we start out with the worst show business story I've ever heard in my life. Okay. <laughs> Steve Rossi told me this, and he died with this story, so we'll never know. When he was a young guy starting out, he was a crooner. And he got a job as the MC for Mae West's stage show in 1948. It so her is. stage show, she was already old, not crazy old, but old. Yeah. And her stage show was she had like eight bodybuilders full of oil in slingshot uh, bathing suits, and she'd walk up and down and rub them and say what was lewd at the time. There probably wasn't lewd. So Steve auditioned, and the first night he did it, you know, he was hired, and he was he was in his dressing room, or his or his, his hotel room, rather, and, uh, and she called him up and said, come to my room. So I, I have no idea. So Rossi goes to Mae West's room, just come over here. And she's sitting on the bed. Steve Rossi's like, you know, 22, however uh-huh. old. And, and he was Steve Rossi. This was the straight man. Yeah, this is Marty Steve, Allen. Yeah, no Marty Allen yet. He's just yeah, a crooner trying to find his way in show business. Yeah. And <clears throat> she unbuttons his pants. Oh, no. Takes off his belt. Pulls down his pants and his underpants. <clears throat> takes out her false teeth. Ah! Puts them in a glass of water on the table by the bed. Gives him a blowjob, and as he's coming, he goes, ah! And he pulls off her blonde wig. And he said he's standing there looking at this bald woman with no teeth, with a mouthful of his jizz, and he said, I guess I'm in show business. Icebreaker. Uh, wow. Is that a beauty, Gilbert? Come oh, on. Yes. Oh, man. That is a beauty. Oh, man. Oh, wow. my God. Now, now I'm really sorry we didn't get Steve Rossi yes, on, on here. It, it's funny and scary at the same time. <laughs> it's everything. And it borders unbelievable. Yes. It really does. It really does. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. If so, you were going to say that's a bullshit story, where would you start hacking away at the truth? She definitely wore a wig. She probably gave blowjobs. She, oh, of course, had false teeth. Right. And, of course, Rossi would have gone for it. You know what? Well, I believe it's true. It's not exactly bragging. <laughs> no, no. Hey, 
Hey, guess what I did last night? So, Jack, you were here before. We did a great episode with you. One of I our got most so much popular. incredible feedback from doing this. It's so flattering to be invited back here. I can't tell you. It's, it's great. Who Everybody you loves feedback? your podcast. It's so good. That's sweet. Thank you. And we want to thank you, too, for the guests that you helped us get. We were talking about outside. Uh, Tommy James. Came through you. The great Mark Hudson was one of our funniest episodes. Oh, he's great. Oh, he was terrific. Mark walked in and just floored us immediately before we even got in the booth. Yeah, he came up to us in like the kitchen area yeah. and had about 20 stories. <laughs> and and, and uh, 19 of them were about Cher. Exactly. <laughs> a good many of them. Yes. I don't, think we had, yes. we, I don't think we told any of those on the air. Oh, whoops. Yeah, Whatever. but um, also uh, Billy J. Kramer and Will Jordan. So we, we're grateful to you. Great characters. I'm telling you, you got to get Woody Woodbury. He's sharp as a tack. Woody he, Woodbury. He Gil. is a real, real classic. I mean, he had Who Do You Trust Before Carson. So yeah, please. I mean, we were stealing jokes from each other in 1979. He was already a, a you know, he was already a, and an antique. I don't I don't know how yeah, else to a say. Relic. You know. Yeah. And that's a long time ago. Yeah. So well, we're glad Woody's still around. We'll get him. So, your book, and the reason you're here, Bow to Stern. Yes, sir. The joke man, Bow to Stern. You know, I've been working on it for so long and collecting stories for so long. And the first time my, I had a manager, uh, Rory Rosegarden was my manager. He's a great guy. Still, one of my I know dear, Rory. One of my Robert friends. Klein forever. And he thought that uh, Mel Berger would be interested in a book by me. And my opening to my book, the first time I submitted it to somebody... The, the preamble was, I'm sitting here in a uh, cafeteria at JFK Airport waiting for Gilbert Gottfried so we can go out to Las Vegas to do that stupid show, The Watcher. And I had just oh gotten notice God, from yes. Rory, you know, not through you know, not through email or anything. Mm -hmm. He had just called and said, hey, I think I might be able to get your book deal. And that's when I started. And I started making, you know, putting stories together. Then the web happened. So when the web happened and there were all these stories that I told on the show... You know, the Stern Show was so funny because I would tell stories to them and they'd look at each other like, this guy's a jerk. And after I was there a couple months, they started thinking to themselves, he's telling the truth of these horrible <laughs> stories. So I started putting them on the web and I just accumulated so many stories. So the book is stories. It's modular stories, you know. Yeah, good A lot stories. about me, but then a lot about the Stern Show stuff. And there's nothing really, you know, you read it. It's, well, it's a lot, also a lot about Rodney and Joe Ansis and, uh, and, right. and, people, it, uh, and characters like Louis Nye show up. And yeah, and it's, and it's not behind the back stabs or anything. No. Everybody knows everything about the Stern Show. You know, all the crappy stuff he did, everybody knows. <laughs> you, know? you can't really tell a tell-all about the No, about there's the no tell-all, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but I love it, and I finally got a deal on uh, with Post Hill Press, and it's coming out October 24th on Kindle. And on, on Audible, who's that, one of your sponsors or used to be? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. I think, think, I think did, Audible Did you do an audio version of any of your books? I know uh, you've had books. Yeah, of, uh, Rubber Balls and Liquor. You, that's the greatest. Oh, God, that's the first punchline I remember, too. And uh, I knew you would know it. Oh, my <laughs> Rubber Balls and Liquor. Johnny Fuckerfaster. You know? <laughs> so... So I'm thinking, oh, what a drudgery to go in and record your book. And I went in and sat there and read 300 pages. I was ready to read it again. I really enjoyed See, it. See, me, I Good read. fucking hated every second. Did of you it. really? Yes. Wow. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, the guys enjoyed the stories and they really enjoyed, you know, I don't know whether maybe I was scared or something, but Artie Lang did my forward and mm -hmm. he, he also read his forward. So 
you know, for the people that know me from the Stern Show and know him to hear my voice, it's a good thing, you know, if they can handle it. I'm surprised you didn't. Yeah, if if I do another book, Morgan Freeman's going to be. James Earl Jones. <laughs> Hello, I'm Gooey Goffrey. <laughs> this book was gestating it, since before the web. This, uh, That's a way long before, fucking yeah, forever. thing. And I, I actually, st- I wrote a book, I started writing the book of my life in the 70s, and uh, as a product of the 60s with JFK and everything, so the name of my first book was Profiles in Discourage. That's funny. <laughs> Which goes way back. And you know. I remember when we did The Watcher, and that was a weird time when all these stations were advertising that they were brand new stations, and they all had, like, new shows, all of which lasted about a month. Ten seconds, right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> they, they And the stations came and went. It was like, yes. a, you know, it, it was like a revolving door. It was really crazy. But, you know, it was, but it was fun while it lasted, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our and, Channel 9 show was on uh, Channel 9, which was a superstation for five minutes. Oh, and yeah, I never yeah. understood what superstation meant. You and, know? and what I remember best about uh, The Watcher is where two thugs in it. And at one point, uh, we get into a massive fight. So they get these stuntmen who are both seven feet tall. To play the two of you? And barrel-chested. <laughs> Did you ever go back and actually look at that? Yes. Oh, my God. It looks nothing like <laughs> us at all. Oh, that was that was just the funniest. And, and it's like the two of us for close-ups were struggling, <laughs> and we could barely walk. <laughs> and, and these guys are doing these leaps in the air. Right, you see these two monsters poolside, and then there's me and Gilbert, these two little bodies floating in the pool. It made no sense. <laughs> so you wanted to write the perspective from Jackie's chair. You wanted to give people uh, some insight. That's absolutely into, what it is. It's yeah. the, there's nothing new in there that people don't know about. But the great thing is it's it's a time capsule. It is. You it know, is. like... I know where I was when that, when the movie hit. I know where I was when the Channel 9 show hit. So people are, you know, they get to jump off into their own little world. And there's a lot of funny stuff, you know, a lot of goofy stuff. Tell us a little bit about Rodney, who, who keeps turning up in the book. We just we just had Richard Lewis here, and he told us some Rodney stuff. And you Gilbert know, told his own Rodney story. The greatest, yeah. I have, I wrote down some things to say, to, and I, there's a story that's not in the book, and it's not even my story, but i got to tell it to you. But I was with Rodney. <clears throat> I sent him a, a joke. I, I, comics lie to each other, especially in the beginning. They lie about how good they're doing. And Richie oh, yes. Minervini was my good friend, and there was no East Side Comedy Club or anything. We're working in little places, and I'm putting my amplifier, and we're doing shows. <clears throat> it's a great story. I was playing my guitar and singing my songs in this little crappy bar in Huntington. It was a couple days before Christmas. There's nobody in the bar except maybe one couple and Scottish bartenders at the other end. And I'm singing my cheery songs and telling my dick jokes and playing my cheery <laughs> songs. And all of a sudden, this Scottish bartender says, Jack, they want you outside. And I said, who? And he said, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, to this day, I don't like telling that story. So Minervini comes in and says, oh, man, I went on a danger fields and I killed Rodney. Love me. I'm going to be on TV. And I got so jealous. I sat down and took every old joke I knew and made it a Rodney joke. Mm-hmm. And Minervini shows up and I said, look, I got all these jokes. Give them to your friend Rodney. He said, oh, I lied. You know, I, I didn't meet Rodney. I didn't get on stage. He says, but I was there. And he hands me a matchbook with the address. So oh, I wrote Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield, care of the address, and sent it two days later. Phone rings. And I'm at my grandmother's. Nobody has the number because she just died. The phone rings, and I'm there with my girlfriend. He said, 
Yeah. Hello? I said, who is this? He said, it's Rodney. I said, Rodney who? He said, oh, I knew you were fucking funny. You know, I knew you were funny. <laughs> some of these jokes is fucking funny, you know? So I met him and we got to be somewhat pals. I sold him some jokes and I wound up going away with him for two weeks. And then I'm still thinking of crap that happened. I told him when we first were going on, the, I said, every time you open your mouth, I'm going to be entertained and I'm going to have a fucking party. What do I care, you know? But he was just such a hoot and just a, just a delight because he just, that was him. That, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't, let me put on this character when I go on stage. It was this downtrodden. Right. And I don't know and, if he's actually miserable, but he just, you know, he was all beat up. A misanthrope. Yeah, Rodney. just, yeah. Oh. Answering the door with the bathrobe open. And the, oh, and, the, you know, and we've all seen that, you know, right. like it's almost like, well, <laughs> well, welcome to Comedy 101, the open uh, ratty blue bathrobe with the balls that, you know. <laughs> Down to his so listen to this story. So John Fox was a very funny comic. He'd passed away a couple of years ago, and him and Rodney were working on Rover Dangerfield, which was an animated. Oh sure, animated. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're in Las Vegas. With Ronnie Shell. They're way up in the in the in the uh, penthouse, and they're going down in the, in the elevator. And Fox said they were going down in the elevator. And the elevator stopped, and this tiny little Asian woman <laughs> got in the elevator. <laughs> So they go all the way down to the main floor and the door opens. There's a hundred people waiting to get in the elevator. But on the way down, Fox said Rodney cut the loudest, most disgusting, smelly fart he'd ever heard in his life. And they get to the bottom floor and the doors open up. And as they walk out, Rodney turns to the woman and says, you're really fucking disgusting, you know? <laughs> now, for, for no reason at all, but, but you know, no reason but to be goofy. What was the joke, by the way, the big joke, the one that he loved, the one that the, 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 the one first that, one, the one that he kept in the I act was, for years? I was living at my grandmother's, and my buddy was in Peru selling Coke, buying Coke, doing Coke. And he called me in the middle of the night, like three or four in the morning, the phone rang and he knew me well enough to know I was probably drunk. So he kept me on the phone long <laughs> enough so I would remember the phone call. I said, Chief, there's a joke, this guy, this uh, Tennessee Bob told me this joke, Tennessee Bob told me Tennessee two-bagger. And I sent it to Rodney as the Tennessee two-bagger, which he got rid of the Tennessee. But the joke was, and Rodney swore his best joke ever. He said, yeah, she was so ugly. She was known as a two-bagger. That's a girl so ugly, you not only got to put a bag over her head, you got to put a bag over your own head in case her bag rips. <laughs> a great joke. A great joke. And Carson went right off his chair. And, you know, uh, so that, you know, and that cemented to me, cemented me to him forever, you know, and it was great fun. Great yeah. fun. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. And now back to the show. And what was amazing when Rodney went on Carson, he would do his set. Was an that event. would be great. And then he'd sit on panel. That would be a whole separate it set. But it was a whole other set. It was yes. like, like when he did the two bagger, that was he was sitting on the panel. Was he testing yeah. new material at pa on panel or he was just doing he was just no, extending no, the set? No, he didn't do yeah. it. Nothing on everything yeah. on Carson. You watched him. He was oh. it was so time tested. He was amazing. It was hard to get a joke. Into oh. his into his Carson set, and it was hard to get a joke into his actual act. Right, you know, Johnny would just say, "So how you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm okay now, but last week I was in rough shape. Yeah, what, this one, uh, the greatest. He he did his stand up for seven minutes, then he sat down, and for seven minutes he 
barreled and barreled and yeah. barreled, destroyed the place. Yeah. And when he was done with his last show, he turned to John and he said, what's new with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's great. He's great. And but, then he would have, out of out of nowhere, he'd just say to Johnny, like, but you got to take care of your health. Your health is what's <laughs> most important. Or Johnny, Johnny'd say, you know, how's your health? He goes, not yet, not yet, Johnny. Health, <laughs> health later, you know. We're going to be so spontaneous, but we'll get to it later, you know. There's a nice story in the book about Rodney and Paul Williams, too, with, with uh, Paul doing, uh, or Rodney doing a nice thing for Paul, really. See, I went to, I went to, uh, Fort Lauderdale with him and then went to Vegas where he was uh, he was headlining. But it was him and then Paul Williams Orchestra. Yeah. And and Roddy said, no, oh, comic opens and comic opens and then the music. You know, you don't do music and then a comic. Well, you know, show business 101, you know. So Paul Williams was so thrilled that Roddy did that, that he let him take his private jet to uh, Los Angeles to do the reaction shots for Caddyshack. This is 1980. And then Paul loved us, loved us, loved Rodney and brought us over to his house in Las Vegas. And it was one of the, I called Paul Williams about a year or two ago or sent him an email and asked him if he remembered the afternoon in Las Vegas. He said, you know, bouncing off the walls with Rodney Dangerfield for five hours. What do you mean? Do I remember it? You know, (laughs) one of the few things he does remember. Yeah. I I think he sobered (laughs) sobered up after that. But, um. You know, we got so stoned and so coked up and so crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. And it was so fun. And Rodney's sitting there going, how do you come up with those songs, Paul? And he goes, oh, Rodney, you know, they just, they're in the air. I pl- oh, They're just in the air. There's no getting over that rainbow. That's fucking beautiful, Paul. They're in the air. That's fucking, oh, God. I thought I, I, thought I was going to die. Rodney Dangerfield singing the Rainbow Connection. Oh. My God! God but I mean, he must have said, you know, he must have said the opening line, you know, twenty right. times. Right, right. And Paul's wife at the time, Katie, loved Rodney, so he, he just kept breaking out, the, you know. Oh Jesus Christ! I'm like, pinch me, you know. And I'm, I'm adding to the festivities. I felt like I fit in, you know what I mean? So that was, uh, that was a great, great time. Wow. You know, years later, this anecdote has nothing to do with anything, but I was working in one of these <laughs> shitholes in the middle of, I think, Knoxville, Funny Bone in Knoxville. Yeah. And I'm sure I was, played it. I was doing a a talk show, and it was so long ago that Crook and Chase, Charlie Chase and and whatever yeah. name was yeah. was a little local show in Knoxville. Then they became huge, and now they're gone. They're probably dead, but they came and went. But they had this little local talk show, and Paul Williams was on before me, and I hadn't seen him in years since that. And I'm sure he wouldn't have remembered me, or maybe he would have, but I didn't beat him up to say hello or anything because we crossed paths. But he was in there. I'll never forget this. And now, like, you are such a great songwriter. Everything you write is so good. Have you ever written anything that wasn't a hit? And he goes, oh, yeah. And they said, like what? He said, Brown Christmas. <laughs> God bless Paul. <laughs> it's so funny. So funny. Here's, some, here, here's something I didn't know from the book, Jack. I didn't know that you started out uh, as a guest on Howard's NBC show, that that was, that was where the relationship began. I met Howard the exact same way I met Rodney. You know, when I, was, when I started out, I, was, I made all these out. Al- I made an album, and uh, I borrowed money. For, it's all in the book. It, it explains. Like, I learned how to make an album. I knew all these dirty jokes. I said, well, I'm going to make an album full of dirty jokes. For whatever reason, you know, like Red Fox, I made an album full of dirty jokes, and then I made another one, and then I made another one, 
And as it went along, when I put out an album, I sent it to everybody. If I met you on the street, I still run into people and say, yeah, you gave me a fucking album 40 years ago. You know, if I, uh, you could help me, maybe you can help me. Here's an album. I love how you sent one to Mad Magazine and you got a Don Martin yeah, cartoon yeah, no, back. I, oh, I, I, Great. you know, it, you know, I, I got a, I got a half price off on a micro cassette from the Japanese company that wrote back and said, we don't have any idea what you're doing, but you seem to have a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> So, so every time I put out an album, I send it to everybody. And by 1982, I had three albums out. And she was going to be my wife, but my girlfriend Nancy and I worked together. And we sent the three albums with matching cassettes and all our promo to everybody I came in contact with. Just throwing it against the wall. No idea what I'm doing. No idea what I'm doing. And then I was in Washington, D.C. at Garvin's Laughing. Oh, my God. And yes. Harry Garvin's Grill. Right. And Harry Montecrusso says, hey, there's this wild man that uh, did broadcast in his underwear on Fridays, and he just got fired. He's going to NBC in New York. You should look him up. I have no idea who this guy is. I didn't listen to the radio. I was a hippie. So I, we just sent my three albums blind, Howard Stern, Kara, WNBC, just like we had sent out literally three or four hundred packages like that and one day nancy called me up i was in my mother's attic that was that was joke land my mother's attic mm-hmm. with my dial joke machines and everything she said hey that this jockey howard stern called he wants you to call him so i called him he got right on the phone said hey we listened to your albums you you know every joke why don't you come in and hang out on the air we're going to judge a talent contest over the telephone i'm like okay it's rainy tuesday in february of 1983 i'll never forget and just I mean, I had sent the albums a couple months before, but it took them a while to get settled. I drove in, you know, 30 Rock, and then, you know, Show I go business. up, and there's Fred, and there's Robin, and there's Howard, and I sat down, and we laughed for four hours, and at the end of four hours, they said, you're a lot of fun. You want to come back next week? And I came back once a week for three years for free, and then we went to mornings, and then we went to fucking Pluto. Right. Right. And I'd slowly but surely it exploded. Started giving them lines and kind of you know yeah, inst- you know put working my way into into the into the crux of the whole thing. And what thing. was so funny is when there'd be a feud going on between you and and Howard, and he was insulting you. You'd be slipping him the insult <laughs> lines to insult oh my God. you. People with. people have trouble wrapping their brains around that. <laughs> Wow. You know, it's all for one for one for all. You know, it was. Just, it was uh, <laughs> and I, you know, and it'd be like, you know, oh, don't, oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to interrupt this with a joke. So a guy goes in a bar and he's having a few <laughs> beers and he goes into the bathroom and there's a guy bent over the sink and there's a guy behind him fucking him in the ass. <laughs> and there's a guy behind him fucking him in the ass. And the guy's like, geez, he goes to the bartender. He says, what's going on in this place? I go in there. There's a guy bent over the sink, a guy behind him fucking him in the ass, a guy behind him fucking him in the ass. What the hell kind of place is this? And the bartender says, the guy in the middle, do you have on an orange shirt? <laughs> he says, yeah. He says, that's Bob. He's lucky in cards, too. <laughs> I had to get that one in there. I knew you hadn't heard that. Fantastic. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a fun story about hanging out with Louis Nye, too, in the book. You get a girl and you go back when you're on tour with Rodney and well, you bring we, her we're, back to we're Rodney's. We're in Fort Lauderdale. We're in Fort Lauderdale and I was so horny. I was freaking out. <laughs> and I said, you know, because it's spring break. 
And everybody, all the girls are college girls in bikinis, skimpy bikinis. And we're at the Bahia Mar in the thick of everything, right on A1A. I don't know if it's in a book. One day, I swear to God, he said this, which is just, it's so Rodney. We're walking along the beach and these girls are unbelievable. And he just turns to me and says, don't you wish you could just fuck anybody you wanted? <laughs> For no reason. Out of like, the blue. Why, why would you say that? You know, of course. So I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and uh, and find myself a girl. Said, Good luck with that, you know. So I went and got drunk at the Elbow Room on Las Solas and uh, I drank until I met a girl. And we came back and uh, I wanted, you know, I wanted to show her who I was with. I didn't tell her who I was with. I wanted to surprise her. I knocked on the door and... Roddy, oh, you know, he's surprised because, you know, I, I succeeded. And he says, come in. And I, I'm like, holy, f- it's Louis Nye standing there. Who's like, <laughs> oh, geez. And I'm, I was great. weaned on Steve Allen and I owe Steve Arino and Tom Poston and Don Knotts. Sure. And, Bill Dana. Uh, and Bill Dana. Oh, it's just, uh, just fantastic. And then we were all sitting around the pool the next day or a couple days later because Louis Nye had a uh, one-man show in town. And I was sitting with Glenn Hirsch and and. Peter Bales, Bob Nelson, Larry Miller, Dennis Wolfberg, Paul Reiser were all working at the at this comic strip. I hadn't even worked there yet. And I finagled Rodney into going after we went to see Louis Nye, I finagled him into going to the comic strip. And I come walking into the comic strip and Rodney's behind me and Paul Reiser's eyes popped out. And then the piss to resistance, Louis Nye's behind Rodney, and he's like and not Reiser's like you arranged this? <laughs> and everybody killed, and I invited the guys over to the pool, and we're all sitting around laughing and breaking balls with Rodney, and Louie was sitting all alone. <clears throat> I said, hey, guys, let's go talk to Louie. And they're all like, no, 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 no. You don't want to bother Louie. Now you're like, the fuck are you talking about? I'm sure he'd love nothing better. And we walked over there and said hello, and we didn't get in a word edgewise for two hours. He, he just, just went on and on and oh, on. He was great. so thrilled to talk about the Steve Allen show. Of course, you know. Another, Great fun. another Great. guy we never got, Gil. And and you, I always say this, way before, now it's just commonplace. Every single comic has merch. And, you know, that they're selling bumper stickers, tapes, blah, blah, blah. And it, you were like the first. You, you know, like uh, Bill Cosby and those guys, you know, they, they signed with huge record companies and had big record deals, blah, blah, blah. But I found out from working in a studio that you could make a homegrown album. So I actually recorded an album on, on cassette and chopped it up with a razor blade and all that stuff. I, all this stuff is in the book because it's such a good story. And <clears throat> I got these albums and there's so many stories about the albums, but I would take them to gigs. And I'd stand at the door and sell my albums for five dollars, and the other comics would break my balls. They'd make fun of me, until one day somebody said, "Wait a minute, we we each made forty dollars, and he made an extra eighty bucks selling yeah. a stupid album. <laughs> what an asshole he is, you know." <laughs> and I just kept going and going and making more albums, and it was you know it was always fun, you know. But and they stay people to this day people break my you know since Sinbad used to say, "Yeah, Jack used to always have knickknacks." <laughs> Jack had knickknacks. <laughs> Gil, you've been known to sell a little merch at a uh, oh yes at a venue. Yeah, oh, please. And I was one of those that got on it late, because I'd be at all these gigs, and the opening act, who was like you know thirteen, he'd has have, a stack uh, of CDs yes. two feet high, and yeah, and he'd be selling like crazy. And- <laughs> 
was a hoot. Tell us a little bit too, somebody who also comes up in the in the book and came up in the last time you were here, and that's Joe Ansis. For people that don't know, only hardcore comedy people would even know who he was. I I, I think met he lived him, in my building, by the way. Really, South Seventy Fourth Street. I met him a bunch of times. He's a very quiet guy. I don't remember what I said last time and what I you know, uh, but Joe was the guy that used to yell. Uh, there was a certain line that people would yell. Did I talk about that last time? Like, well, tell us again. Well. <clears throat> Rodney and him were great friends. It was Joe Ansis and Rodney and Buddy Hackett and Lenny Bruce and all those guys, I guess, hung out 57, 55, 50, whatever. They they were a pack, you know. And I guess they all had fun and broke balls. And they, But Joe was like the funniest guy. You know, there's always somebody in the group yeah. that's, that's never a pisser. Got on stage, yeah. But he was frightened to death and he wouldn't, you know. But uh, and he was scared. Of, he was a big, tall guy, but he was like kind of hunched over and scared of his own shadow. And... Uh, but he'd be in the back of Rodney, in the back of Dangerfields, in the middle of Rodney's act. He'd go, "So what do you do for a living?" And, Rod, <laughs> and Rodney go, "I get guys for your sister." <laughs> Why don't you come in the bathroom? I'll show you how small you really are. And, we, and bring the house down. And then when we went to Las Vegas, I was the guy in the back of the room yelling that out. And I always felt answers. so inside, you know. Yeah. But Joe, he was a very nice guy, very nice guy. But you know, I spent. A couple of nights hanging out with him and Rodney a little bit, and he probably said four words, you know. But he couldn't have been nicer. You know, couldn't have been nice. Yeah, they always said he... He was the funny guy. Like, he was the funny guy who, like other comics, their famous bits came from him. Right, especially Lenny Bruce, supposedly. Yeah. You know, you know who who knows? But that uh, it was funny that I, he, he never, ever, on a bet, well, supposedly he never took the stage ever, ever, which is, you know. Wow. <laughs> Strange. Kind of great. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. Just didn't have it in him. Yeah, really. Yeah. He, he was liter- literally petrified. Yeah. Which is great. And he was huge, you know. Ah, go figure. So here's a okay. joke I always end my act with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a cab driver picks up a nun. A cab driver picks up a nun. He looks in the rearview mirror and says, you know, sister, I always fantasize about being with a nun. She says, yeah, you and everybody else. Are you Catholic? Yes, I am. She's pull over. He pulls over. She gets in the front seat and gives him the best blowjob he's ever had. She gets done. He feels guilty. He says, sister, I got to tell you something. I'm not really Catholic. She says, yeah, my name's Ralph. I'm going to a costume party. (laughs) 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 Buy my book. Tell them to buy my book. I'm going to tell them to buy your book. We'll come back. We're going to come back and do a part two with this. The book is called Bow to Stern. It's a it's Jackie's memoir. It's Jackie's uh, fly on the wall view. What about the joke man bow to stern? The joke man bow to stern. Kindle, audible uh, audio version and hardcover. We're going to give you a chance to do those plugs again because we're going to stop here and start again and do a second one. What do you think of that? I might go down on you. All right, Gil. And <laughs> this has been uh, Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal obsession. With uh, Jackie the Joke Man Martling, part one.